0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Father, now for the the time that we get to come into your word, Lord, which is just the greatest gift, Father God, that you've given us to, to, to know you more, to meet with you face to face, to discern our thoughts and the intents of our heart, Lord God. Thank you for this living word. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that you cast aside the distractions, have us not focus on other things, but to just focus right now on you alone and what you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So last week, we, uh, again, in John chapter 4, we're still trucking and making our way through this encounter with the woman at the well. And last week, we got to see the lesson that was being taught to the disciples through this encounter with the Samaritan woman. And we get to see how Jesus is teaching them about harvest and what it means to harvest. We got to see the duality of that physical hunger versus that spiritual hunger. And and Jesus reminded them, the hunger that I have is already filled. How was it filled? How was it satisfied? By doing his father's will. He came to start and finish that work. What is that will, that reminder? Matthew 28 is that reminder for us. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we see right at the onset that he is reminding them, this is, the, this is the real food. He's satiated already, and we had to look at that and go through and ponder for ourselves, what hunger are we feeding the most? And we see the simplicity of God's will. It's about the gospel. It's about the heart. It's about the soul that doesn't know Jesus, that needs Jesus unto salvation. We also saw last week the fruit of Jesus going to Samaria for that one soul. And we're gonna be reminded as we go through this today, we're gonna actually get to see the fruit of the encounter that the woman at the well has with Jesus. And as we see that, it's a reminder to us to not doubt the power of one testimony, the power of sharing, the power of reminding people of who Jesus is and how he impacted your life. Now, from last week, the charge to check in on To see how are you doing with it. One, we looked at how she left that water pot. She left what she had as the need to focus on Jesus. And to focus on doing his will. What do you need to leave behind? What do you need to set aside? What are you pursuing that has become more important than pursuing your heavenly father? The other question that we had to think about was what are you feeding most? Are you feeding that spiritual hunger most or are you feeding that physical hunger? And as we go through today, keep that question in the back of your mind because as we look with the message today anchored, we're going to be reminded there's really only one anchor for us, the word of God. So anything that comes before that, you're feeding that physical. Are you truly feeding that spiritual hunger? And that last thing to ponder last week was really a charge To pray for the soil of the hearts that are in the harvest. Did you pray for the soil of your own heart? Did you pray for the soil of unbelievers, of lost, of people backsliding? Did you pray for the soil of their hearts to be softened? We have to remember the soil of the heart. Guess what tills it? Prayer. Guess what works that ground? Prayer. That's why we need to be in prayer. Now, today, we're going to be looking at verses 38 to 46 in a message I've entitled Anchored. And the question that I want to download on you right at the start is what truly is your anchor? What truly is your anchor? And this is one of those moments where as we go through this passage, we got to get real, folks. We can't play the game where we just, yeah, of course it's the Bible. I love the Word of God. Okay, good. Tomorrow we'll work on colors. Let's be real. (laughs) What really is your anchor? And what are the things that are in the way that are hindering you? Now, as we go through this passage, we're going to see a few things. We're going to, one, see that we are co-laborers with Jesus. And we're going to see the role that we get to be co-laborers and we get to enter the labor of others who have come before us. Of Jesus, of John the Baptist, of the prophets, of all believers who've come before us and shared the gospel. We get to join in that work. We're going to see the belief in the Samaritans that starts through this unnamed, immoral, outcast woman sharing her testimony, who he is and how he impacted her. We're going to see the fruit of that. We're going to be reminded of the power of one to plant that faith seed into people. We're going to see belief in his word alone versus belief Inexperience. And we have to interrogate that because it's about the inward versus the outward. It's about the word being enough. It's about what belief truly honors God. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Does my belief in God honor him? Because is your belief in the sufficiency of his word or not? We're also going to see the revealed universality of Christ As the only way, as Savior of the world, as the equalizer. That's what we're going to see. And we're going to see Jesus' faithfulness to go where he is called. We see that he goes to Samaria. Then we're going to see at the end of this that he's moving back into the region of Judea. He's going where God calls to do the work that needs to be done. But in his obedience, we're going to see different ways that he is received. In Samaria, we're going to see the reception by the word. Alone, But when we get to the Galileans, we're going to see their receptions based on signs. It's based in what can Jesus do for me in this moment. And again, anchored is the word enough. So let's stand and read John 4 verses 38 to 46. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed of his own because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So, Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I just pray, Lord, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Enable me, empower me to deliver the words that are needed for your people. Lord, I pray for the soil of their hearts to receive your word, Lord. To receive and meditate on it, Lord. Distractions move away, doubt, insecurities, pride, whatever is in the way, till the soil of their heart right now, Lord, to receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we see in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So this is the final word that he gives to the disciples about the harvest. And what he's saying is, you're going to join in labor that's already been started. You're going to join in work that actually you didn't start. Others have started. John the Baptist started and I'm starting it. The prophets that told of me coming started it. And you join in on that. We have to remember we join in the labors of all the believers, all in the body of Christ before us. It's a beautiful gift that we get to do. And we looked at this passage last week. I want us to look there one more time. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. Paul gives us a beautiful way of looking at that. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. For who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We're looking at this again. We see each person had a different role. And who is the only one who gives the increase? Who's the one who brings salvation? God. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Lest you saints go into the labor of evangelism and make it all about you or how many people you got to witness to or this or that. That's not what it's about. We're just faithful servants. We're bond servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. That's what we are in the harvest. That's what we are in the work of evangelism. And saints, we have to do our part. So question I have for you, do you, are you, since we even looked at that last week, prayerfully discerning what role you need to do in the harvest around you? Are you thinking about your family, praying about your family members? Who do I need to plant seeds with? Who do I need to water? Who do I need to prayerfully see Is it time to reap? Are they ready for that moment? Are you doing the same thing with your neighborhood? The people who live around you? What about with your coworkers? What about at work? Are you thinking, is there anybody at work, Lord, that you need me to plant seeds of who you are? Is there anyone there that I need to do that? And even, dare I say, what about when you're just out and about running errands? Is there anybody, Lord, that you need me to water today? Are you going, approaching life like that? Because if we think about it, guess what? When you walk out that door, you're in the harvest. And Jesus has already says, it's white, it's ready to go. It's over-ripened. But are you being that faithful servant doing the work he's called us to? We're going to have different roles. And guess what? Based on where you are, the role might be different. Sometimes you're going to be seed planting. Sometimes you're going to be watering. Sometimes you're going to be reaping. And when you reap, when you get the gift to pray that prayer of salvation with someone, give thanks with that person to everyone who spoken to their life beforehand. Because it's a whole army of people that do the labor and work our King has given us. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Many of the Samaritans, now in the context of what we just looked at, this is the harvest coming, folks. And he had said to them when they said, he gave them the proverb, you're thinking to wait? No, the time is now. Look, they're coming. Now they're truly there. And they believe in him because of what? The word of the woman who testified he told me all that i ever did the testimony of one one individual generates the faith to move in to pursuing knowing who jesus is the testimony of one and she gave in that testimony who he is and what he and how he impacted her and she says he told me all that i ever did now think about this woman First of all, she's an unlikely suspect to be giving this message to these people. She goes to the men. They would have known her as a certain kind of gal. And she goes forth saying, he told me all. And when she says that all, she knows all of the sexual sin she has. She knows all of the sin that is in her being. And guess what? She was met with the love of Jesus. And it's a reminder for us, Jesus loves us the way we are when we come to him. Now, I'm not going to be like other people that are on a pulpit today that stop right there. And when we meet him face to face, he changes us. That's the beautiful gift of the gospel. That's the beautiful gift of our savior, of our king. And the world says Look for acceptance. The world says look to be loved. The world says look look for people who just look at you as you are and say, I love you the way you are. Guess what? That's Jesus. And then he says, I love you the way you are and I can't let you stay like that because of the love. So let me make you better. Let me make you a new creation in me. That's what he says. That's what he does. But in the witness of the Samaritan woman, we need to be reminded Never underestimate the power of one. Don't sit and tell yourself, what do I have to to tell people about Jesus? Or I'm so old, or I'm so young, or I'm a new believer, or this or that. Those are lies from the enemy. Never underestimate the power of one. Do you allow God to use your testimony of one for his glory? Do you allow him to do that? When was the last time you looked somebody in the eyes and said, let me tell you who Jesus is. This is how he impacted me. And tell them that, that those seeds are planted as we see here, the power of one for Christ, the personal testimony of her. And that's partially where I'm coming with this desire, prayer, prayer, prayer. We walked through and saw the power of prayer within the book of Acts. Go through and do that on your own if you need to. And see the power when the church unites and prays in one accord. And I think it's an underutilized thing that we have. And in that prayer, it's prayer that each and every single one of the body of believers, the people in this church would be empowered to share. Imagine what would happen if each of us let the Lord use our power of one for his glory. We're going to see the ripple effect here already. We see so many, many of the Samaritans Then we go on in verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. So again, she's given the word. Now they're seeing him. They're there and they're saying, please stay with us. They are excited about Jesus's words. If we look at this, if we look at this encounter that we go, and if we look at the other Gospels, if we look historically, there's no signs or miracles recorded that take place in Samaria at this moment. All they're getting is his words. And guess what? That excites them. And in that they say, stay, stay two more days. Stay longer, stay longer. So he stays those two more days. Christ stays. Jesus will always answer the request Father, can I have more time with you? Can I have more time in your presence right now? Can I have more time in your word with you? We often think about those verses where it says, if you pray according to my will, you get this. And we take that and then we've got the name it and claim it world, we've got this, we've got all these other things. We get it because we're praying in accordance to his will. So I will tell you, if you wanna experience one of those, ask Jesus, Lord, help me to have more time in your presence and your word. He's gonna answer that. He's going to help to make that happen. And that's a prayer that you can ask and receive, bam. It's not the way we might like it when we see it presented in Prosperity World where it's more, Lord, I want that new car in Jesus' name. I got it. No, you're not going to get it. That's not how that works. You need to pray according to his will. Guess where his will is shown? The word of God. If what you're praying can't come in line with the word of God, knock it off, move on to another prayer surrender that you're praying in his will and when you realize that guess what saints his will is all about him because we were made by him and we were made for him now the culture at this time remember there's even bigger meaning here Jews and Samaritans we looked at it when we started this whole encounter there's no go the Jews call them half breeds it is very unlikely we saw when we looked at the map they would travel way out of their way to avoid Samaria And we see our Savior, our King, staying with them even longer. They've invited him to stay. Do you invite Jesus to stay in your life? Do you invite Jesus in your home? And that's one we've got to really get under the hood of. Only y'all know what goes on in your houses. But is it just the Sunday show where you show up? We're happy, happy family. Look at us. And then when you go home, whoa, what's going on? Is Jesus actually invited there? Men of God, are there areas you need to step up? Are there things you need to put away that you can make sure your home can invite the Lord the right way? That's our call, dudes. Step up your game. That's what we're called to do for God's glory. We are called to lead and shepherd. Going through these verses, guilty as charged. There's so many areas. I'm like, I love you, my honey boo boo, and I got to step up my game. For God's glory. Are we doing that? Are we leading that? What about your minds? What about your thought life? Are you inviting Jesus to stay in your thought life? Jesus, stay in my thoughts. Help my thoughts to be pure that they glorify you. Help me to hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Where are you going with that? How are you doing with that? Is it about the word being enough? Or are you like the folks why he left Jerusalem? Turn back to John 2, verse 23 to 25. We looked at it already, but let's review. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. It was about the experience. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men, and had no need that anyone should testify of man For he knew what was in man. And we're going to look at that verse again. Because again, what's the anchor? Is the anchor the word? Are you drawn to the Lord for his word and his word alone? Or is it about the experience? Is it about what show is Jesus going to put on for me today that I can feel entertained? I want to see a miracle. I want to see God move. You want to see God move? Open up your Bible. And you'll see God move. The anchor has to be the word. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. Juxtapose that with what we just saw. Belief that's superficial based on signs. But what is their belief here about? His own word. The anchor of their faith, the anchor of their belief is in the word of God. It's not in signs. It's not in miracles. It's in the word of God alone. And that's different because culturally at the time, the Jews were all about, we need to see the signs. We need to see this. But he's showing in this with the Samaritans, their belief, the word was enough. Jesus' words were enough. They believed him at his word. For you, saint, is the word of God enough? Can you take Jesus at his word and have peace? Or is there more that you need to add? Is there more that you're looking for? When we see this, this verse 41, and many more believe because of his own word, I feel like that should be plastered for every church. That's what you need to have on the site for all new believers. Anchor in the word. And guess what? For veteran believers too. Anchor in the word. Don't have the thought, well, I've been a believer for 35 years. I need to have intellect put in front of me and I need to have these things. I know it all already. No, you don't. You do not know it all. He ain't perfect, not going to be perfect. We don't arrive till we're with him. And guess what? This is a living word, which means every time you open it, saints, he's going to show new things to you. He will reveal new if your heart is going open and surrendered and saying, Lord, your word is enough. Amen. There's no secondhand salvation. It's got to be your own personal encounter with the word of God. Verse 42, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So when we see this now, their belief we see how the journey went for these Samaritans. They hear her word. That sparks that seed of faith. And they're like, okay, I want to inquire. I'm going to inquire within about this Jesus. Now they hear his word. They hear their word, his word themselves, a personal experience, no secondhand salvation, and they believe. And they believe that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They didn't need signs and miracles. His word was enough. Turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to look at an encounter that we'll study later on in this book, but is useful to see right now. Is Jesus' words enough, or do you need proof? Are you one of those people? I need proof. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I know, Genesis 1-1, but I need proof. Why don't you just believe? Look at what we see here. John 20. Verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. So the resurrection has taken place. He's not there. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, now again, he, remember, one of the 12 was with him when he's saying, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna be resurrected. Do you believe it or not? So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my fingers in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. That would be a moment I would want to hear that peace. That's an intense, it just comes through. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Then Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed i'm going to say a greater belief is in just trusting his word this isn't license this word when we see here about thomas this isn't license to say god show me xyz and then i'll believe or god i'm going to put this out there do this it's like we we try to play gideon that's not our call saints Our call is to take him at his word and to trust in his sovereignty and to use his word to rightly divide what he's seeking for us. But do you take the word alone? Is that enough or is it contingent upon signs and we see what he says? Blessed are those who don't see and believe. What a blessing that is. Are you one for proof or do you take his word alone? We're going to look at another passage where we can see where the root of signs versus just the word alone starts. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. It's a passage we know. And when we talk about the spiritual warfare, that is a reality. And when we talk about the armor of God, we talk about the sword. And often I will reference, others will reference. Matthew 4, you see how the sword is used. You see how the word is used. But let's do a deeper dive on this, tying it to the context of their belief rooted in the word, not in signs and wonders. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, this is verse uh, 1 of chapter 4 of Matthew, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. So when the tempter came to him, he said, So first we see he's in the wilderness. This is right after the baptism. He's had the identification with the sinners in the baptism. Now we have the 40 days of important biblical number. We would see the 40 days with Noah. We'd see 40 years with, uh, 40 with Israel. And we would see Jesus correct it all for all. And he starts with that 40 days. The tempter came to him. Now when the tempter came to him, not if, saints, the temptation's going to come. I want to be clear. This is like that James 1, when you fall into various trials, when the tempter comes. Just know temptation's going to come. And we're equipped through the word how to handle it. He said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So in this, it's the lust of the flesh. He's saying, prove your identity through miracles, through signs. Do this miraculous thing and prove who you are. Prove who you are. Use God's gift for your selfish gain." But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The first thing that he puts on is the word of God. What do we live on? The word of God. What do we abide in? The word of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now we're talking pride of life here. This is what we're moving into. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Throw yourself down. Show that you have God's approval. Show that God approves of you and have a public demonstration of his approval. That's the pride of life. But if we also see the devil uses for it is written. He knows the word and how to use it, but he's not using it in context. And there's an important thing for us when we say the word is my anchor. You can't just say the word of God's your anchor. It needs to be the word of God rightly divided in context. Because we can do the same thing the enemy does here. Just take the word, make it say what we want to say, and run with it that's not what we can we are called to do then verse 7 jesus said to him it is written again you shall not tempt the lord your god again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory lust of the eyes and he said to him all these things i will give you if you fall fall down and worship me take the little shortcut jesus worship me and you'll have it all take the shortcut don't do it on god's timeline Worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's James 4, 7, coming to life. Resist the devil and he will flee. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. God finds a way to minister and meet his needs as he's endured that temptation. But if we see The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, they all tempt us to pull us away from the anchor and sufficiency of his word. If you're praying on something, are you going to say, God, I need you to give me this sign to show me that this is what it is? Or are you going to say, God, your word's enough. I rest in your sovereignty. That's it. Can you rest in his sovereignty? Can you rest in his word or is your relationship with God based on what he shows you, when he shows you, how he does it because you're not like the Samaritan where the word is enough. The sufficiency of his word is enough. Are you one who needs signs? Are you one who needs to feel like you're doing something or feel like you're in control? Take it back, peel it back and go back to the core. It is written. Go back to the core where the word is is enough, And the word bears fruit because if we look at this, it bears the fruit that they not only see he's Christ, but guess what they reveal? The savior of the world. We see this here, and the other place that we see this in Scripture is 1 John chapter 4. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son A savior of the world. Notice the context of savior in the world here is all tied to abiding in him, being anchored in him. If you're abiding in him, being anchored in him, guess what you're doing? You're in the word. You're in the word. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And it's that union, it's that tie, it's that connection, it's that anchor to the word, to him, to him alone. And in that word being enough for the Samaritans, they see Savior of the world. It could have been that they met Jesus and said, okay, this is the Messiah for the Jews and he's also the Messiah for us. No, they go further for the world. And we can't take for granted where this lands in Scripture. If we think of the book we're working on, in chapter 2, 23, he's in Jerusalem. He's in the Passover at Jerusalem. Then from Jerusalem, he moves in chapter 3, verse 22, to Judea. Then in Judea, he leaves Judea to move to Samaria. In Samaria, it's revealed that he's the Savior of the world. Acts 1.8 put it up there. Look at what we see here but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you see that flow? It's the same path our Savior just went through. He was in Jerusalem, then he moves to Judea, then he goes to Samaria and it's in Samaria where we have recorded he's the Savior of the world and that's what we're called to go do. Share him with the world. Share him with all through the power of his spirit, through everyone. And it's for all the world. And something you have to check do you place limits on who Jesus is for? Because it's something that we can sometimes do. Do you place limits on who he's for? And I'm going to take it a step further. Have you actually already done that by a silenced witness? The opportunity's there. You say nothing. Pride, doubt, unbelief, fear, I don't have the words, all of these things and you've missed that opportunity. The Lord's faithful. Somebody else is going to do it. But I want us charging ahead, being who he needs us to be. Because what did we sing this morning? We live for you. We live for you. And we see his heart, the heart of our Savior, is that all would be saved. Next week we have the India update. A small church like us is able to reach around the world. We're going to hear what our body was able to do with Pastor David going forth and sharing the word. But also then we need to think about the circle that we're in. Family, neighborhood, work, co-workers, errands, wherever it is, are you doing it? And the seeds of this work, read Acts chapter 8 this afternoon for homework, and you're going to see the seeds of more belief in Samaria from this. And where does it start? The faithful testimony of one immoral outcast woman. Women, a reminder to you, your faithfulness to God is vital. Your witness and testimony is vital for every single person. But we see here the exact going through with this woman. And that time where you want to say, well, what do I have to do? No, go forth. But notice how she does it. Who he is, how he impacted her. There's no emotion in it. There's no her adding things to what he said. It's just, he told me all that I ever did. It's just who he is. Notice that simplicity too, ladies. It's important. Don't put it about your emotions. Don't put it about extra fluff that God didn't really say because it's not in his word. Just give the word. How did he impact you? And go forth with that. Be faithful to that. And the anchor again that we're seeing here is the word. Is the word of God sufficient for you or not? Then we go on, verse 43. Now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. Galilee, goyim, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where he is headed now. He's now gone full circle of where we've seen him walking in this journey. He's back where it began. Remember that first sign we saw, the water to wine. We're back there now. He's going, that verse is reminding us he's getting to that final destination. That's where he was headed initially, but he had to make that detour because he cares for that one soul. We need to care for that one soul. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. So you could read those two verses and say, wait a second, that's confusing. He has no honor, but they receive him. What's going on there? So one thing we have to remember: the region of Judea—that's where he's tied through the line of David, the tribe of Judah. Judea is his home country. That's where we land with that. Now, the second piece we need to see: he's been rejected by the Jews. We've seen it when the uh, at the temple when he goes forth and he does all that he does there. They don't want him there anymore. Then when the disciples come to tell him, "Hey, John's being more uh, John," you get sorry. The disciples of John come and say, "Hey." You're not as popular anymore because Jesus is more popular than you. What are you going to do about this? And notice, what did he do? He left. Jesus knew it wasn't the time to go into that confrontation about baptism. But these people in his homeland, guess what they would be? Familiar with Jesus. They would know Jesus. They'd be familiar with him. In that familiarity, we can sometimes feel that. We're familiar. Yeah, I know that person. Yeah, I know them. That's where they will rest their hat on. We can't rest our hat on that. A passage that reminds us of that. Matthew 7, verse 21. Look at that real quick. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, anchored in the will again. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Familiarity with Jesus is a dangerous spot to be. Because you can think, oh, I know him. Yeah, I have a relationship with him. No, you don't. And I don't want anyone to be that person that hears, depart from me, I never knew you. You can't just be familiar with Jesus. You need to be intimate with Jesus. And there's only one way to do that, the word of God. And where familiarity comes You're on the periphery, you see the signs, you see the miracles, you're just familiar. What's your relationship with the word? And again, what we see here, the honor is what we have to think about. What honor does it give God? Because we see, as we looked at John 2, 23 to 25, when they were there, verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify a man, for he knew what was in man. Superficial faith wasn't a belief of interest to Jesus. He wants that genuine belief where his word is enough. The word is enough. No more, no extra, no others are added or needed. Jesus stayed in Samaria two days. He stayed longer with them where the word was enough. In Jerusalem, where it was about the signs, he left. He went out. And that's where we have to search our hearts. What is it about for you? When you show up here, is it about a spectacle show or is it just about, I just want the word? In your own life, is the word enough? Can you rest in the promises of God's word or do you need to add other things? Well, I have my Bible here, but then I have this book by this person, that book by this person, this other thing, this other thing, this other thing, this other thing, this other thing. Look at where the word is going in the pile. It's now at the bottom. Because you have all of these other things that you've deemed more important because maybe they play to the emotions more. Maybe they make you feel like you're in control more. Maybe you feel like you're seeing more because you're hearing (laughs) of all the wonderful things God did in that person and this and all these things. Can the word be enough? Can the word of God alone be enough? Verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So we see we're gonna, that this is setting the stage for where we're going next week. But as he's in Galilee with the Galileans, they are having superficial faith. When we see right there, why are they receiving him? They've seen all the things he did in Jerusalem. He spoke when he was in Jerusalem too. We don't read. They heard his word and they wanted to receive him. It was about what he could do. It was superficial. And we're going to see actually in this encounter after the India update. So in two weeks, we're going to see there's going to be a miracle. Another sign taking place here. But we're going to be seeing it's about the heart of belief. Because we're going to see a father and we're going to see where his heart stands with belief. Because that's what it's about, the heart of the belief. Is it in God's word enough or do you need to add other things? Now, I'm going to give a few, we're going to go through a few verses. And I want to offer these as anchors. I want to offer these verses to you as verses to go through and say, is this enough for me? is looking at this verse, is looking at that, having it as an anchor enough. So we're going to go back to where we were in Matthew, but we're going to start at verse uh, chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Is an anchor enough for you to build your life on the word of God alone? Alone. Because that's the rock. If you're putting the word of God and then you're adding all the other things around it, you're on sand. You're going to sink. It's a lot easier to stand on, if I had you stand on this book, put it down and said, stand on this, versus me having a pile of a bunch of books and telling you, now stand. If they're all different levels and all different things, it's like the sand, you're going to fall through. Is the rock, is his word enough for you as an anchor? John 17, turn there. This is what I like to call the Lord's Prayer. And he's just finished praying for his disciples and praying that not taking them out, but protecting them, giving them the ability to go through whatever would come. And then we read in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Guess who he's praying for there? Us. Jesus prayed for us. Where? How do I know? Right there. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Is that enough for you? Knowing that Jesus prayed for your eternal unity and oneness with him. Is that enough? Or is there more that you need? Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16. Another anchor. These are anchors I'm trying to throw at you. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Whatever you're going through, whatever it is, he sympathizes. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is that enough? Can you be like David who his prayers and the trials, it was enough to go to the Lord, put it all out there and remember his character, remember the evidence of who he is, being real with him and then rest in that and leave the vindication to him. Hebrews 6.13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath For confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. So we see here there's that patient endurance that we have in verse 15 because that's the spiritual attack. God, will you really get me through that? And God got Abraham through with the seal of the promise in what? In oath. What are we sealed with unto eternity? The Holy Spirit. And then we keep going here. Thus, God, determining to show more uh, abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, God's promise and God's oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Refuge in him. Strong consolation, taking his word because he cannot lie. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, because remember there was only one who could go behind the veil at the time, the priests, they were the only ones that could go, and guess who can go not just as a servant, but as a forerunner going forward with others following him, Jesus, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Is that promise and security that he is who he is as God enough? Hebrews 13.8, one we all know. Jesus Christ is the same. What? Yesterday, today, and forever. Is that enough? Or do you need to see and work different things? Or is it enough, that promise that's given there? And the last one we're going to look at, First Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's an anchor verse. Look to the hope to come in the rapture. The blessed hope that we have. And as I say, when we look at this now, that doesn't mean be rapture waiters. Don't just sit on your hand waiting for the rapture. Share. Anchor in the word and share. So question, saints, what are your anchor verses? What are the verses so that when you have temptation to say, God, I need to see you move. I need to see you work, Lord. I need to see you do this. That you remember, actually, I have your promises. And your promises, that's enough. I rest in your promises. The woman at the well, this encounter reminds us Jesus' love for the outcast. It reminds us to have that zeal to witness. Look at the zeal that she had. It reminds us to ditch what we think is important or what we have as what I need to focus on to go do the work that the Lord calls. The physical hunger versus the spiritual hunger. It reminds us not to wait. The harvest is ripe. Don't walk out those doors and say, okay, I'm gonna think about this. If you see somebody, tell them about Jesus. Do the work that he calls us today. And today we look at anchor faith that honors god i think most beautifully in belief is the heart of the believer who says lord your word is sufficient and more than enough i don't need anything else in the circumstance that i'm going through lord i'm going to rest that the holy spirit's going to bring scripture in front of me to guide this dot 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 it just rests in the word alone charge for the week one what's your anchor and check that as a family and as an individual what's your anchor Do you have other things that anchor the family a little bit more than the word of God? We really all bond over that Netflix series. What's your anchor? (laughs) Truly, what's the real anchor of your household? Because it takes courage and faith, quite frankly, to say the word alone. Two, does the motive of your heart honor God? Is your heart pursuing God about what you get or is it about him and he's enough? Jesus is enough. Three, who will you tell about Jesus to spark that faith that the Samaritan woman sparked that would have them come to desire to see him, to meet him, to know him? Do you take his promises at their word? It's something to think about because I pray that we're not the body of believers that are like the Galileans. Oh, we receive you, Jesus. We know what you did in Jerusalem. Can't wait to see what work you're going to do here, man. Or, Jesus, thank you for your word. That's enough. That's all I need. That's my manna. And thank you for your Holy Spirit dwelling in me, who will empower me and strengthen me, and who will bring your word to remembrance that I can live as you call me to live. Amen. Amen. And your faithful saints, for being in here, it's hot. I'm like, who? am I the only one? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the gift of your word, Father God. And Lord, as we see the people in Samaria in this encounter, Father God, that they come to belief at your word and your word is enough, Lord. Help us, Jesus, to search our hearts for the areas that we've put other things before your word, Lord. It's a lamp to our feet and light to our path. It should be hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against you. It protects us. It guides us, Lord. And the Holy Spirit leads all of that. But it can't happen, Lord, when we have other things in the way. His word, his spirit, his way. Lord, your word needs to be such an anchor. The whole encounter that we've just seen is by your word. The world was created by your word. So, Lord, help us to rest in the sufficiency of your word, to relish in it, Lord, to meditate in it, Lord, to be in your word more than we ever have, Lord, to see the living power of your word. Thank you for this day, Lord, and we pray for anyone who may not know you, Jesus, that they would come to believe who you are and what you have done, Lord. Help us to be a people, Lord, who build ourselves on your word, who find our identity in being your bondservant and in your word, and that alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a beautiful afternoon.